Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more shelf stories. Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome to Shelf Stories, the channel that tells tales from games, books, and life. And welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast. I'm your host, Jason. Thank you so much for stopping by. We are getting back to our roots over here. I'm getting back to my roots. We're going to do some game reviews. Uh, we are going over the next couple of episodes that I'm on, at least. We're going to review two games. Yes, I've played games, and I have thoughts about them multiple times. It's amazing. Uh, and I'm looking forward to actually kind of uh, getting back to basics, so to speak. And so when I do so, I have one person in my life who I think of when I think of games. Games and games and more games and talking about games and then getting back to playing games. Uh, he is my good friend here in Connecticut. He is from YouTube channel Step Into the Portal, and he is a great friend. He is Brant Sanderson. Welcome back to the show. Hello, everybody. It's good to be here. And yes, uh, the only thing I like to do other than play games is talk about playing games. So. <laughs> <laughs> what what What's the, is it chicken or the egg? Like, what's the better part? Is it the playing of the game or the talking of the game? No, playing games is better than talking, but both are great because they involve people, and that's my that's my right. thing. <laughs> yeah, and I, I like that the act of talking about games. I have to admit, I've it's been a lot of you know people have been following me, cultural stuff and mental health stuff, history stuff, and it's been great to kind of broaden my horizons. But sometimes you just want to you know <laughs> you know get, kind of get back in touch with the basics, almost like the fundamentals, right? You know, so it's like okay, I, sure. I feel like I have. I need to get back to thinking about games in a more holistic way uh, and really drill down on some of these titles and, you know, and we're going to go for it. Uh, so this one that we're going to talk about this week is pretty hot. I'd, I'd say, you know, I don't wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's blazing. I'd say it's cold, freezing cold. <laughs> oh my God. He's already started. <laughs> we are talking about endless winter. Uh, it is the debut title from Fantasia games. Uh, it is a wonderful player game. Uh, that is a worker placement, deck building, mishmash of mechanisms uh, in one package. So uh, my man, Brent, uh, if you have not listened to his podcast or his content or anything about Brent, you know that he loves to talk about games, describe games, paint that word picture. So I'm going to rely on you, Brent. Paint us a word picture for Endless Winter. Yeah, it's a hard game for me to talk about and not kind of give away some of my feelings on the game. But uh, so Endless Winter is, uh, well, the theme is that you are trying to take your tribe. Your, I think the, the subtitle is Paleo-American. So Paleo-American, so like you know, you're 10,000 BC before the, the advent of agriculture. So it's, you know, Ice Age, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so you're trying to take your tribe and survive this seemingly endless winter in the, you know, glacier period and get through. the. Um, so everybody's got kind of a, a tribe that's a, like slightly unique to them. I wouldn't call it asymmetric, just some subtle changes throughout and whatnot, uh, and a chieftain. And, uh, and then it is a wild mess of mechanisms. It is <laughs> worker placement. It is area control. It is set collection. It is deck building. Uh if you want to get into the expansions, you are adding in uh, some unique scoring mechanisms. You are adding in uh, drawing, like on this board mm -hmm. with these cave paintings. Uh, what else am I missing from the game? Resource management. I mean, uh, the, if the it is a... The yeah, oh, right, tile placing. Tile placement, yep. Yeah, tile placement. Um, yeah, it's just all those mechanisms, uh, and it all comes together. You're playing over four rounds. Uh, is the idea you have three workers that you place each round, and then at the 
end of each round, you're going to do a scoring phase. And at the end of the game, there's another, you know, final scoring phase and most points wins, as you see in many (laughs) strategy games. Okay. So I I would say um, for anyone who's out there listening to this and thinking this is like a big, and I used to think that, right. I used to think this was a big complicated game. It's a huge footprint. You know, because you have kind of four different areas that will command your attention on the board and also your player area and et cetera. Um, I would say that it is the distilled version of all those different mechanisms. So it's like distilled deck building, distilled work. There's only four places to place your workers, distilled area control and, and distilled uh, set collection with the animals that you're collecting. It's like very, very simple. So there. So what how this game wants to approach it is it takes simple versions of mechanisms that you may have been introduced to in other games so they say a game like clank so you know if you're familiar you you might get your uh feet wet with deck building work a clank or dominion here's a next step to kind of not just make the deck building more rich but to keep it simple and add stuff that you may have experienced elsewhere so i'd say that uh, I, i i kind of i guess in terms of the access point i would kind of equate this to like a arnak style game our next a little bit uh heavier crunchier but in terms of that next step like i wouldn't just throw this at a new person but if you know the fundamentals then you might kind of you know absorb uh what endless winter is doing what do you think about that yeah i think one of the keys to the game working is that none of the mechanisms are overwrought if any one of those mechanisms or two maybe were were very complex then the game wouldn't flow and and it it'd be a harder game for me to be excited about (laughs) if one of those were there. Yeah. It's funny to mention something like Arnak it, you know, teaching so many games to people it's like, okay, now it's your turn one. And people are like, I don't know what to do. And this game definitely has that where it's a little different is Arnak at least has the like, so I can play this card and go here and collect, you know, two of these tokens. Okay. Done turn one. And people kind of feel a little more comfortable. The turns in Arnak are shorter. There's less to do in a turn, whereas in Endless Winter, there's a lot to do in a turn. You're okay. mm-hmm. possibly placing a culture card, and then you're going through this series of worker placements. So I feel like turns are more complex than Lost Ruins of Arnak. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it's that making that decision that I think makes right. the game feel heavier than its mechanisms actually are. I'd say, okay, so I'll throw Dune uh, Imperium in there too. I think this is part of a rising wave of games, and this is why I associate them. There's a lot of mechanisms, but the core of it is like on your turn, you're placing a worker. Like that's what you're doing, right? All the other, all the other stuff, you're placing a worker, and then you know stuff from there. And then the deck building, you're supplementing that worker with cards from your hand. Yeah, that's how you do in Arnak. That's what you do in Dune. So like in terms of a, and that's kind of how I I think of it. Uh, I you know try to getting in there, putting myself in the seat of a player at this game. What am I doing from turn to turn? I'm placing a worker, supplementing their uh, action with cards. And can I collect the best card so I can supplement my worker the best? At the end of the day, it's like what you're doing is different. So I can do in your area controlling and fighting. And in Arnak, you're progressing on a track. And in this game, you're doing multiple things, <laughs> depending on what you want to do. Uh, but that, that's the that core of experience at the end of the day. So I think that'll, that's enough. I bet, let's go into um, what this is the one-stop co-op shop. Uh, and Brant did his homework. <laughs> I did. Uh, yeah. Uh, so in terms of the top five things, so if you haven't listened to our, our podcast before, uh, Peter and Mike do this almost every time. We've done about, about 200 episodes, at least on their end, and I've done uh, more episodes. So many episodes of the One Stop Club Shop. But we're doing the top five of you. We're going to take t- five things that we think are noteworthy about a game, and we're going to comment on them, good, bad, or mixed. 
So uh, by, I mentioned the homework by Brent. I said, okay, Brent, we're going to do top five. And Brent's like, I'm going to listen to one of your episodes and we're going to figure out what you're doing. <laughs> How did it go, man? Yeah, no, I, I totally figured out the top five. I also played the game solo because on the one-stop co-op shop, you obviously want to know about the solo play. Right. I can't talk about the solo play in a bubble. I've got to talk about the whole game for my experience. Um, and then I'll put the solo play in as one of my points. Yes, I, put the, I, did I, did that. That. I did that the same thing. The solo play is going to be one of my points, but it is not my number five. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and throw it to you if you're number five. What's up? What is it? All right. So I think the first one I kind of alluded to when I was talking about it, but it's this mech of mechanism, mess of mechanism. You can't even say it. It's so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good alliteration. It's good alliteration, <laughs> uh, but not good. Not good to not be able to say it on an audio podcast for sure. <laughs> it's a mess of mechanisms that results in a great game. That's that is my number five for me. Is that because that's I feel like I put it as my five because. That's your first barrier of entry to the game is going, oh my gosh, there's all these things. What am I about to sit down and and do, right? That's that's the initial reaction I've had. So thank you to you. I borrowed your copy and I played four days in a row. And so wow. I saw that and it was a different group of people every single time. So I taught it over and over and over again. And it was that same deer in the headlights. What are you about to teach me? Why, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Other than because you told me I should play it. <laughs> right. I think you well, were the only one who said, I want to play it. Everybody else, I said, we're playing this game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, a specific quest, like Brand is the game teacher. That's how I met him like five, six years ago, teaching games, going from four tables, at a, like a little mini con thing and teaching him like this man knows how to teach games. Whenever I have a, a game that I just don't feel like learning. Uh, I was like, all right, here you go, Brent. <laughs> you got my back. Yeah, and you were nice enough to pass off your copy to me because that just helps me get that initial play in and um, and you know read through the rules and everything. Uh, that's an interesting part for me uh, is that I prefer the rule book to any other medium for learning. So I oh, will God, not please. be the person. I will oh, not please. be the person if you're teaching me to take the rule book from you and correct you. Mm -hmm. That I, it's fine. There's some people I don't mind doing that. But that's not my idea. It's just if you say, oh, can you teach me this game? I say, sure, give me the rule book. Uh, you know, watching a video, listening to somebody teach me, none of those compare to me for that pure analysis of the rule book. So anyway, uh, the gameplay here is smooth. It's seamless. Um, each mechanism, as you were alluding to, is is generally easy to grasp. If you take the tier of, of um, difficulty on each of those mechanisms, this is in the lower tier of each of those mechanisms so that you just go oh it's set collection you grab a card over here you add it to your set and at the end of the game they're going to score x points right. oh i understand that i've played other set collecting games right, right. you're not going to play like, sushi you know, go it makes sense yeah if you know if you collect <laughs> these four you cube them if you collect these rainbow of things you 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 do like you know x plus y plus z like seven wonder style and you know yeah, it's, it doesn't it's have any simple. of that there isn't different right. set collection you know there's different ones where it says if you collect two if you collect four but other than that it's not there. So that's that's my first point is just that it all all of that mess comes together to me in a very smooth game. And that's this, the key is that it's smooth. This is why that uh, I like talking to Brant because he thinks differently than me. Uh, you talked about kind of your entry into the game. What's the first thing you encounter? You said like kind of the wall of mechanisms. For me, it's a theme. I, I have sure. to use the theme. I'm a theme first gamer. Uh, the, I let the theme tell me what this is and then I get into it. So I encountered a little bit of a barrier there because Endless Winter tells me this is a survival game. 
there wasn't you know there wasn't like abundance in <laughs> 10,000 BC it wasn't you know or maybe there was in terms of like hunting but you start to go out and kill it and do it all sort of stuff uh and you know the, the winter you know I'd never associated the winter with abundance uh but I mean this game and I'll, I'll, I'll comment on this later in terms of the overall approach uh it is not that it is not a survival game in the slightest uh you don't lose your workers you don't really have to feed them do you have to feed your workers I mean, you don't have to feed any workers, do you? No. Uh, nope, you don't feed any workers, no. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, okay, well, because there's so many mechanisms to try to, but no, there, there is no feed your workers. There, there is, is no... food. Food is a right. resource in the game, but right, okay. it, you don't have to feed to do things. Yeah, we're, yeah, the food just lets you do more stuff. And so I think, like, the theme is just there for trappings. And it's cool trappings. I think um, the guy who did uh, the Valeria uh, line of games and a few of the... Um, Shem Phillips games, uh, you know, West Kingdom and all that. Uh, that artist uh, did this and he did an amazing job. Uh, and so like the aesthetic of the Paleo-American yeah. uh, caveman aesthetic is generally pretty good. I still think, uh, I don't know if you heard the, the controversy about Paleo. Paleo is soon to my uh, shelf somewhere. Uh, a lot of lighter skinned cavemen. And it's like, that's not what it was back in the day that the gene for lights can didn't evolve until 8,000, 7,000 BC, according to our uh, latest scientific understanding. So again, but that's something to kind of deal with in games. You know, uh, given that uh, just the aesthetic was pleasing, but it didn't help me learn the game. It didn't communicate to me what this game is. And if you care about that, you care like me. If you don't, you don't. That's why it's my number five. So theme sort of mismatch for me. Yeah, so that's exactly my number four point. The theme is generally not strong, right? <laughs> right? Uh, it, it makes sense. It's just not essential to the gameplay. So it, it, it works what they did here. I will say that Dead of Winter definitely invokes survival. Right. Yes, Endless yes. Winter should, but what they did here is they kind of took the positive approach. Instead of saying, this is how you will suffer in this Endless Winter, they say, this is how you will thrive, which is weird because it sounds counterintuitive. Now, I will say, you talk about cultural stuff. My culture is Swedish or Nordic, so right. Vikings, right, would be some of that. And they thrived in these northern regions, so there was some element of that, I suppose, you know. Um, but again, the the theme, it, it doesn't really matter. You could push it to something else other than, like you said, the production of the game, the mm -hmm. artwork of the game, the aesthetic of the game works very well, and it's not something that we see a whole bunch of. So, you know, it's it's very nice. It's interesting. It's it's fun to collect sets of saber-toothed cats. I kind of feel like I'm in the Flintstones, right? <laughs> As opposed to set collecting sets of right. you know, squirrels. squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> exactly. Which would just be cool. I've got squirrels, right. but saber-toothed like cats. Like Everdell. I got Everdell sitting right over here. That's that's what you do in Everdell. So I mean, yeah. I think like, you know, if this game had been like plentiful spring. And it, it it had that kind of motif, and I'll get to the abundance aspect in a future point. Uh, but that's kind of where where I where I got to uh, with this uh, endless winter motif. It's just uh, a setting, and so that's that's fine. Uh, so that's yeah. why it's number my number five. Uh, number four, I'm gonna talk about the solo mode. Uh, so solo mode is, I, I, you'll I you'll talk about it. Is is he number three? We can talk about it together because you're number three. My number three is the solo mode. There you go. So let's talk about it together. Uh, so that's the that's my number four. Brand's number three, solo mode. Um, so. It is basically you're playing another player. So you have a slider that you can do these things. So like you could have a Morton Monterey Pedersen style automobile, which is just a deck. And the deck does a whole bunch of things. That is not this. 
you are laying out the second player. You are putting all of their pieces down. You are you're constructing a little deck for them, and you're doing a lot in terms of um, like you're not making a ton of decisions. So I think that that's pretty good. So there's a there is an automa deck, and the deck basically kind of runs down what you do. So you're not making too many decisions for the bot. So that it doesn't lean into that end. So my my issue was you're st it's still a lot of table space, and it is still a lot of futzing with the bot stuff. And I don't know if it presents as much of that opposition that you might want in a worker placement game or in a competitive uh, aspect. Like this isn't that competitive a game. It's a little bit, tiny bit, but it isn't really that competitive. Worker placement spots, you don't, the, there's this whole system worker placement spots. So it's like you go there, you do the thing, and then you get like a bonus. And if you go there first, you lose the bonus, but you could still do the thing. Right. So it's not, it's a very friendly aspect to it. And so like in the area control aspect, there's like this tundra and you can put out your little villages and that's another kind of part of the game. And you can still share <laughs> in the spot. And if you tie, you both get whatever the thing is. If you tie, kind of influence or whatever. So because the game itself isn't that competitive, I don't know if I wanted to spend all that time futzing with the bots' of stuff if it's not going to actually get in my way. Like, I, I feel like it. this game kind of could have been a high score thing. When you have a whole bunch of stuff and it doesn't, like, get in your way, it's kind of a gussied up high score. And that's what I felt like. I felt like this was gussied up high score. So I thought this was going to be my point that was going to get me asked to never be on one-stop co-op shop again. <laughs> because it's a very robust solo mode. Right. You know, it's like you said, you're laying out things, you're flipping cards, they're placing tile. You feel like you're playing another player. Right. Which is interesting. But what I felt like is I'm doing all this work. Actually, I'll go to your point. It's so much table space. So I, I stream on Step Into the Portal. There's the plug, right? So I'm live streaming. You did YouTube a solo channel. play I saw. Step Into the Portal. And I live stream the game. I am sitting currently at a kitchen table. That's what I play on. So not a dining room table size, but a kitchen table. Let's call it, you know, five feet by two and a half feet or something. I basically couldn't fit everything on this table. Right. Right. And that's me playing solo. It's fine. Some games are just going to be big. That's just how it is. But it was that big. Right. But here's what I just wonder. Could it have just been a D4 in a chart? Right, right, right. Like, could it be a Thank D4 you. and that's where they go? Because there's four spaces, <laughs> right? So I roll a D4, they go to one, two, three, or four. They right. block me. And then at the end of the game, it says, if you got 80 points, you did great. If you got 90 points, you did awesome. If you got 100 points, you're amazing. You're now in Plentiful Spring instead of Endless Winter. Like, right. and that, th those are not solo games that I enjoy, but <laughs> it was so much to the solo mode. Mm -hmm. That I felt like, and at the end of the day, I felt like it was blocking me and scoring points. And it wasn't even blocking you. Like, it was blocking your bonus. <laughs> yeah, but at least it blocks the bonus. And that could just, like I said, that could just be a D4 that gets rolled, right? right. And then they go to that space. So, right. yeah, the solo mode is not a reason I would purchase this game. It is a very, very good game overall. And we'll get to the our, th our thoughts. I mean, obviously, we're not like lighting the game on fire. Uh, so we could no. spoil that much. Like, <laughs> it is a worthwhile game. And I think there is a tendency to like, okay, this is a really good game. It is kind of multiplayer solo-ish. Please give me a solo mode. And it's like, okay, uh, Stan Kordonsky has worked with Teek Mateka at Thunderworks. And that that outfit always has solo. I don't care what what they put out. They could be putting out, uh, you know, uh, 
Happy Salmon. They'll put out solo mode for Happy Salmon. <laughs> <laughs> so I, there is some solo in the kind of the, uh, the DNA of the designer uh, and, the, and lots of thought about that. So it's like, okay, let we need a solo mode. They're going to want solo. And okay, this is, we're going to have like a, a rich solo mode. We're not going to just have a high score. And for the way the game approaches it, you know, I just felt like I was doing so much. And at the end of the day, the bot scored 80 some points. And right. it didn't really, maybe a little bit, but it didn't really affect my decision-making because I could still do, like if it, if it blocked one thing I wanted to do, the chances are really good. There was something else that I also could make work. Yeah. I, Gaia Project is the best solo Automa I've ever played. And it does this kind of thing where it's doing the actions you're doing, kind of blocking the spaces and things you want to do and scoring points against you. But it feels like a constant race. Right. Like, oh my gosh, they're ahead of me and I've got to catch up. And now they're ahead right, of me. Right, and, right. and I don't know what the final score is going to be. It looks like I'm good here. And it, you feel like you're scoring against an opponent who's scoring, not right. just somebody who's trying to stop you from scoring. Right. And like coming up with a number at the end. <laughs> so right. it is a very good game. I, I, the solo mode enables a good game, but, you know, and sometimes sure. that's that's enough. You know, like, okay, it's a solo mode. I can play it. I can play this awesome game by myself. Great fun. I don't know if it's a specific draw, but that doesn't say that it's a bad one. So that was my number four. That was Branson number three. Anything else about the solo mode before we go on? No. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> my number three uh, is, and I've mentioned it a couple of times, but I'll, I'll drill down on the point here. The ethos of the game is abundance. Some worker placement games, like I mentioned Dune and I mentioned Arnak and other, you know, kind of, I guess, more classic worker placement where like if the other person goes to the spot, you're not getting to that spot. You have to figure something else out. Uh, here, uh, the, the way the worker placement works is, you, like I said before, you can go to a place, you get your stuff, and then there's a bonus. Uh, and uh, not only that, this is where the cards come in. So if you have enough cards, or enough axes or or meat or whatever it is, you can trigger the spot multiple times. So you right. just you can set things up where it's like I'm mean, I get a whole bunch of stuff and I use I guess I use so uh, you know I'll have turns like the game that we played and then I I tend to play this way just on my own anyway. So I have a, a whole bunch of turns and I'll build up a whole bunch of meat and then it's like oh I need a place to spend my meat. Let me go over to the tundra and you know set up my tents and make a village. And just dump all the resources that I collected, and they kind of like do that dance, right? So, uh, so I could I can generally do that, and I think it says a lot in this game that I was able to pursue kind of ish the same strat, basically every time because it again abundance, multiple pathways. You know, you do this or you do this, and I think for a certain style of gamer who doesn't want to be constrained, so like the opposite of this would be like an Agricola. Agricola will sure. be, you are resource constrained. Every single food matters. Every, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, it, it's it's like, uh, what do they call that? Misery farming or something? Like it's, it's just yeah, a yeah. miserable existence. Every resource is just, uh, you know, precious. And here it's, the, I mean, not that there's, it's not like meaningless. Like the, you you do have to play well. It's not like, you know, just, I just like do whatever. But I, I like playing games <laughs> and I know how to play. Uh, so I was able to kind of do what I want and have whatever I needed for whatever effect that I was going for. And I guess that's a, your mileage may vary type thing, because for me, I I, I kind of prefer the more constrained thing. So I, again, I mentioned Arnak. It is actually an achievement to kind of hit the top of the scoring, one of the, like the scoring track. So it's like the research track, sure. I hit the top of it, I get the top uh, thing. Yeah, I feel like I really kind of, uh, you know, managed my limited resources and made it to the top of here. 
in Endless Winter, you're going to make it to the top of something. <laughs> you're going to probably going to make right, it to the top right. of multiple things. Uh, and it's just a question of which and how fast. And again, that could be a taste thing. For me, I wasn't, I didn't feel as rewarded for excellent play, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, to your point of the abundance, and this is kind of a detailed thing, but the area control aspect is that that kind of tundra region where you're working across all this kind of Catan looking tiles, right? Right. And building across there. And at the end of every round, the eclipse phase, you score. Mm -hmm. But to your point, everybody scores everything individually. Right. So specifically in that area, if you have bonuses that say you can now move your camps and move other things, you get to move them all, score, and it's based on, you know, influence control. But then I get a turn where I can move stuff and score. So if you moved in to keep me from scoring, I now have points that I can move out to go score in other places. So you can't really prevent me from scoring. There isn't like a, I'm going to siege this and hold right. it and take it from you. Right. It's very hard to do that. And the game is basically saying, don't try to do that to the other right. players. It's too much of a commitment. Maybe you'll try to sway a victory point space or something at the end of the game to, to hope that kind of, you know, gets the victory for you, but you're not mm -hmm. going to do that early on and try to hold the other players down. So uh, it definitely has that feeling. Um, I mean, I definitely like being constrained. I don't, I don't like being able to do everything I want to do in a game and then feel like, well, I did everything. So what am I going to do in the next play? I do think the more I play it, the more paths I see. Right. And even though I can achieve one or two of those every game, I can't achieve all six. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the fun is, is, oh, this game, let me try to do this one. Let me try to do this one. And it will actually go right into my second point, if you'll allow me. <laughs> hey, we didn't even coordinate this. That's fantastic. <laughs> Which is that the expansions are not vital, but they definitely are key for replayability. Okay. And so that's where, that's where this game is really going to, you know, you kind of have the all-in version. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, from the crowdfunding and uh, I've got a copy now from retail and all those expansion boxes come out and price isn't usually a place I go but at least so people know the base box is $60 that's relatively cheap these days Which for games really, of this size that's really great value I wasn't going to mention right. at the end but yeah sure. and no, then each awesome. expansion is $20 and that's a pretty low price for expansions in general again everybody's book and wallet right. is going to vary I'm just comparing it to games of its size and expansions of that type. So these expansions, so specifically there's one called the Ancestors. I'm not going to get into all the expansions, but the Ancestors one literally swaps out every card in the game for other cards. And you can swap out piles individually. So you can create almost like a dominion feel of what piles of cards are in in this game and what will this individual play feel like. Mm -hmm. Now there's always a balance of variability versus replayability and i definitely think that is valid that just because something is varied doesn't mean it's replayable because right. it could be the same um and uh but i i do feel like it changes it up and then those expansions can add all these little mechanisms like i talked about the cave painting in and i think that would give more of that feel that that you are looking for that mm -hmm. doesn't feel like i can just do whatever i want whenever i feel like it even though Sorry, I should say that again. Say there's six things I'm trying to do and I can do two or three of them. Well, I can definitely do those two or three. That's exactly what I Even if I can't exactly do the others. Yes. And yes. so 
Yeah, if I decide I'm going to do Tundra today, there's not a ton stopping me. Unless I'm playing like a big four-player game and everybody knows exactly. what they're doing, not a For ton sure. stopping me from just saying I'm going to do Tundra now. Yeah. So it's the bigger picture of how far can I go in each of those categories. But as you add these expansions, you'll definitely add those. And it's always funny to rate a game like this where the expansions release with the game. Like, right. <laughs> are they part of the game? Are they not? So, you know, to me, it's it's kind of a neutral point, but mm-hmm. they are really good. Like, they're really right. good expansions. Uh, they're really interesting. And there's modules, modulars in the box. We played with them, in fact, in our first play. The Glacier modular and the Rest modular right. are very basic, but they add more to the game. So there's, there's kind of always more to splash in, which mm-hmm. I think is a positive overall. Right. And it's no, it's good to, for uh, consumers to kind of keep that in mind, where it's like, if I get this, how um, how, how much juice am I going to get out of the base game? And I'll be honest, I mean, I didn't get a ton out of the base game. Like, I, I put in those the rest of the Glacier modules right away. Like, the, like you know, like barely in half a game, it's like, okay, now I'm putting these modules in because just to jazz it up a little bit. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, I'm playing and I'm kind of doing the same thing the same way. Uh, you know, as I'm playing the base game, here comes these expansions, which are available and they came with the, with the game. Uh, so, I, you know, I didn't get into that as much, but it's good for people to know. So thank you. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so number two, actually, um, both of my two and my one are commentaries on like the cut or quote mishmash of mechanisms. So, because <laughs> that's really, to me, that's like the, the, the thing to know about Endless Winter, the mishmash. Absolutely. Uh, so then I'm going to go a little bit of a con and I, I feel bad. I feel like I'm kind of knocking this game a little bit. I think that this game is, is it's a good game, but it just it's some things that bothered me. And again, the standards are high because there's so many games in this space that do a lot of what this game is doing. So it's like I, the, some of the, the niggles are you know, kind of talking to me. So the deck building in particular. So the de- I find that the deck building is pretty core to the experience because you need to have cards to supplement your workers you're always placing workers right so every deck builder this is one of my complaints about deck builders in general has the issue of like okay you start with your cards and you get your better cards but what do you do with the original cards right uh so then okay there's almost always either a culling mechanism or extra draw and for me whenever that happens in a deck builder i feel like it's kind of homework it's like okay i gotta call I want to get to my better cards, et cetera. So what, how Endless Winter kind of changes things up a little bit is that the cards that you call go into your score pile. So you have a score pile. And so it's like, that's one of the things that you can do is like you can, I think you can bury seven cards maximum and you you know, and that's, that's your score. So it's like burying more cards doesn't really help you except clean deck, get seven down there. So I, I didn't play a single game where I didn't call my deck to seven because it just felt like homework. It's like, okay, I need to do this because of deck building. Yeah. And I bet there's ways of playing where, uh, you know, they, they're they not calling their deck. They're just getting all this, extra, they're doing extra things, extra different ways. But I just felt like calling was such a no-brainer move that in a game with the mishmash, in a game that kind of invites you, do it this way, do it this way, do it this way, to have, uh, at least for me, one part of the game that's like, okay, no, do this. And that will improve your play experience. Uh, because you're getting your better cards and it's more exciting. Uh, I just, I don't know. Uh, I really wish that games that engage deck building would explore some ways of overcoming what were issues 20 years ago when it came to deck building. 
Yeah, no, I mean, the game basically demands that you engine build. It's saying you will get better, right? Like, right. it's part of it without telling you it's an engine building game, which isn't even one of the mechanisms I mentioned in the beginning. <laughs> but it basically <laughs> is engine Your in, turns though. are getting yeah. bigger. You're drawing more cards. You're getting more resources. You're being able to play more things, right? There's that element. All right, my number one. You ready? Sure, let's do it. All right. The choice in this choices in this game are absolutely incredible. And the mm. chaining of those actions is just wonderful. It mm. reminds me of games like Magnus Storm and Catalyst, which are not very popular games overall that I absolutely love. Magnus Storm does a great job of giving those branching trees, make this choice, now make this choice. now make, And this game does that. If I go to that worker placement space, what am I going to do for that action? Then can I do that? Then do I get the bonus? If I get the bonus, what tile am I going to take? If I go over here now, do I do I even want to do rest? Rest is one of the actions just to build up my pile so that I can go first, so I can get that bonus megalith action, so I can maybe build over here and start creating something. And those choices are wonderful. I am not one who is stuck with AP. Um, and so I will make those choices quickly, but my head is still bouncing. Whoa, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'll still do the, I'm going to place my, hold, wait, hold on. I'm going to go here. Nope, back to my original decision, right? <laughs> and I love that stuff where my brain yeah, is yeah. just like firing on all cylinders. So even though I wouldn't put it as a highly complex game or highly strategic game that it might seem like it's going to be, man, those choices bouncing in my head give me almost like that Castles of Burgundy feel mm. of like, Ooh, there's just a lot to lot to figure out. And I'm trying all of my interaction with the other player is can I go there before them or can I get this before them? Or will that card still be there? Um and I'm a little bit of reading my other player without, you know, suffering the effects of I was totally wrong and didn't call it. So mm -hmm. that is um that is my my number one. I, I absolutely adore the game. Spoiler, I recorded my top ten of twenty twenty two. Um already with eric summer and this game made that list i won't say mm. where but it's on that list i i love this game even though the solo mode wasn't the thing that brought me in <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> i moved my copy along to brand i should mention though that this was a review copy that was provided to fantasia i've also worked with fantasia as a cultural consultant on unconscious mind which is their second game, which as we record, this will be on Kickstarter. Not sure if it's open for late pledge by the time you listen to it. Uh, so there is relationship there. Uh, so um, just want to let, let, let folks know about that. Uh, so my number one is actually a pro. So I know I've been nitpicking, nitpicking, nitpicking the entire time. Uh, I will get to my number one, which is related to Brant's, the point that you just made and number five, which is the smoothness. So it isn't just the, I, I totally talk, uh, hear you about the, the chaining. Do this leads to this. Do this leads to this. And the, I, a lot of games have that, but Endless Winter manages to make that process really smooth and intuitive. So if you know deck building, if you know worker placement, if you have been educated in those games from other uh, kind of quote unquote gateway, I don't like that word gateway games, but like uh, uh, games that, you know, the, the first games that, that folks play when they come into the hobby end of things. Uh, so if you're aware of those mechanisms, I found, even though it was a big presentation, the rule book's not that long. No. And it just, you know, it explain, and it's as long as a worker placement needs to be because, like, you need to explain all the spots. But once you get all the spots, the resources that you get, it makes sense what you can do with those resources and how you can use them to kind of do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. So I found this game relatively frictionless, uh, compared to some other games in the space that I've played. 
And that's a real accomplishment. And at the end of the day, I think that is going to be the big draw for people, not just the the mishmash, which is <laughs> you can mishmash all day, but the skill with which the designers and developers wove everything together, these simple distilled versions of all these mechanisms to kind of make a smooth experience is at the end of the day going to be a huge draw. So not enough of a draw for me to keep it. That's why I passed it on to Brant and Larry and the whole family <laughs> over there <laughs> um, because they're more mechanism focused. I mean, I prefer something that has a little bit more thematic resonance and just, it's a taste thing, uh, but sure. I can definitely you know recommend it. And that's why I wanted to have Brant on the show because I could have done my review and it, it had one perspective. I wanted to get somebody on who really enjoyed the game genuinely and is able to speak to it. So thank you very much, my friend. Yeah, no problem. Uh, yeah, you can tell I'm I'm gushing about the game. I just thought it was great. Um, I I think it plays great at player counts. The solo, you know, it's robust, like I said, uh, but not necessarily the reason I would go that. And then if replayability is like your big factor, talking to the listener, um, mm -hmm. then those expansions will really help with that. Right. And it's so it's something to consider in your purchase and in your thought process ahead of time. So that is our review of Endless Winter. Thank you so much, Brad, for stopping by. Uh, normally, if this were Peter and Mike, there'd be a design discussion, but uh, Brad and I don't design games together. So <laughs> maybe someday. We do not. <laughs> maybe, I am designing yeah. something. I, I can't wait to show you, but uh, that's gonna. Uh, we'll uh, we'll hold off on that when uh, it's it's ready. It's, it's cooking right now. I can't wait to show you. Nice. Well, thanks, Jason. I'd love to be on again soon, like really, really soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As in the next episode. <laughs> uh, promo. Give a, a one, one last time. Give some promo. Sure. Uh, so the YouTube channel is Step Into the Portal. We just hit 1,000 subscribers, which is awesome. So that's a cool spot. Playing a lot of games live. I love the social interaction of gaming. So being able to play live is really interesting. You will see a lot of Marvel Champions on there. <laughs> for it's sure. a lot. Although uh, there is a lot of Marvel Champions. Like there's sets all the time. Right. Yeah. So that's definitely part of it. And it's just, it's easiest. It's just easy for me to just hit the camera and go, you know, mm -hmm. and play it. Um, but there's plenty of other games that are on there and I, I play with um, lots of different people on the channel as well. Um, so you can find that there. And then the podcast is the portal gaming podcast. So there's that. All right. Uh, so uh, if you could change my indication, well, people until next time, later, everybody. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list. <laughs>